Welcome to this episode of the UK Run Chat podcast. Today, we're joined by Team Sweat Elite, who claimed victory over 16 other teams in the Euro trip. It's a 400-kilometre non-stop relay run from Cologne in Germany to Strasbourg in France. Working alongside Precision Fuel and Hydration, Team Sweat Elite was made up of runners from the UK, Ireland, Sweden and Australia. Um, and despite being an hour behind at one point, they actually won the race by 14 seconds. What a dramatic finish. So I'm joined today by some members of the team. Hello, everybody. Would you like to introduce yourselves? Matt, do you want to get started? Really appreciate your invitation, Michelle. Um, yeah, we had such a phenomenal experience. But uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm Matt. I founded Sweat Elite, which is uh, a media company in the running space that's been around for a little over six years now. And yeah, we came up with the idea to enter a team in Eurotrip a few months ago. I'd been working alongside Precision Fuel and Hydration in a few different uh, aspects with different media projects over the last year or so. And I originally approached Andy uh, for a sponsorship opportunity. And Andy actually said, we'd love to, uh, some of the team would love to come along and join and support and actually be part of the, t the team if we hadn't already finalized our members. And I said, that sounds great. Um, and uh, turns out uh, it ended up being essentially, a, you know, even though the team's name Sweat Elite, it was actually probably um, you know, a, a dual uh, a, a team with precision fuel and hydration as, as yeah. they brought so many members. So, yeah. But, uh, yeah, the other guys are on the line, so it'd be good to, good to hear an intro from them as well. Yeah, please introduce yourself and your team, Andy. Yeah, for sure. So uh, my name's Andy Blow. I'm the uh, founder and CEO of Precision Fuel and Hydration. We started as a company back in 2011 and um, really a lot of, lot of athletes in our team, as you'd imagine. We work a lot with endurance athletes, particularly runners such as Matt. And so when, yeah, Matt, Matt told, it, told it best, when he originally approached us for sponsorship for this event we thought well not only would we love to get involved from a sponsorship point of view um, we would actually love to run as well and he was kind enough to include a couple of members of us in into the squad and uh, two of the guys are here with me today as well so i'll let um chris minty harris in introduce himself thanks andy yeah my name's chris uh, i went by a few names during the trip which i'm sure we'll uncover during the <laughs> during the course of the recording one of which uh, became waitrose minty is my name in the office but Chris is my actual name, much to a lot of people on the trip surprised that I had a real name. Uh, I'm a sports scientist here at PFNH, I've been in the team for about 18 months now, and was a last minute call up to, to actually run the race, it was supposed to be support bike rider, van driver, and the day before the race ended up borrowing a pair of shoes and yeah, getting involved with 50k of my own running for the team. Wow. Um, and I'm Raf, I'm, I'm one of the other sports scientists here at PFNH. Um, mainly while we were out there, I was working on kind of logistics and, and van driving and uh, mainly trying to keep eight individuals happy when they've been awake for 25 to 30 hours at a time, um, which is no easy task, uh, especially when you lose a few people or, or take a couple of wrong turns along the way, which again, I think we'll, we'll probably cover in the next few minutes. Yeah, that, that sounds really tough, but a really important team member there, Raf. Um, so, so just tell us a little bit of the background about Eurotrip then. So what what is it? What are the rules of it? How far is it? Yeah, sure. So Eurotrip, um, it started last year. It's by a Dutch uh, runner. Uh, he, he goes by the name of Indie Runner. And he decided, I think, essentially to create uh, something similar to what's already existing in the US called the Speed Project, but make it a little bit different. So the Speed Project is a point-to-point -point race that happens every year that's the same course from Santa Monica in Los Angeles to the sign, the Welcome to Las Vegas sign, obviously in Las Vegas. Uh, it's around about, from what I understand, a little over 250 miles. It could be slightly more. Um, and he wanted to create a similar thing in Europe, but make it, as I said, a little bit different in that this won't follow the same course every single year. So I'm actually mind-blanking what last year's course was, but I do know that it ended in Cologne because the point of this Eurotrip is that every year the previous year's end point is the following year's start point. So we started in Cologne and ended in Strasbourg and uh, next year the event starts in Strasbourg and, uh, and ends in a, another location in Austria. So uh, similar duration, similar distance around the 250 to 300 miles and in this case it was pretty close to 250 miles. And uh, yeah, it's a relay. So you get to, there's, there's some sort of vague rules that you have to follow. 
Um, in this case, it was a team of between six and eight. Uh, you had to have a minimum of two females in the team, but you had to have obviously a minimum of six overall and a maximum of eight. And then the only other real rule is that there's five checkpoints along the way that you have to hit and you have to get to. Um, and that basically is a you know just a check check to make sure that the teams are passing through the the, the points that the race is um, instructed to. Uh, but it also made it a little bit more interesting in this case in that it actually took us through a third country in that it included a, a sort of a little side loop through Luxembourg, which uh, if you just did the direct path on Google Maps from Cologne to Strasbourg, it wouldn't have actually included Luxembourg. But uh, I think part of the sort of appeal was that it goes through three countries as well. Um, so yeah, point to point, um, you start at a certain time and then other than that, there's pretty much no rules. It's just, you know, the first team to the certain point in, in Strasbourg. And, uh, the, you know, like I said before, I came into it so inexperienced, I didn't realize how much logistics and planning went into this, but Ruff, who was the, you know, the last person to introduce himself yeah. from the precision fuel and hydration team there, he was so instrumental in like planning the route and making sure that we were taking the right turns. Of course, there was more. Uh, there was also Johnny, who's not on this call from Precision Fuel and Hydration, who was also doing that role. And and even Chris, who who was part of the team in the end, he got called up late because one of our original runners uh, withdrew with about six days to go because he had an injury that he wasn't able to overcome. He was a he was a, a friend of a friend of mine from the U from the US. So Chris took his place. Um, very thankful that he did because it was either that or we go down to a team of seven, which would have meant we were disadvantaged for sure because more um, every runner would have had to have run further. And, you know, that would have really taken its tolls towards the back end of the race. Um, so, yeah, there's the basics um, of the Euro trip. Uh, but yeah, so many, <laughs> there were so many l little stories that went in amongst, you know, the, the whole uh, the whole 25 hours of, of the race. But um, it's, it's, it's a really unique event that's, that's there's not very many of these events run around the world. It's typically a, you know, a certain distance, like a 10K or a half marathon or a marathon where it starts and finishes at the same point and it's very clearly marked. In this case, uh, yeah, there was no, no markings really. It was just, uh, you know, you, you figure it out and get to the end and <laughs> if you get to the end first, then you win. Yeah, so it sounds like you need a lot more brain power to kind of, it's a lot of planning beforehand, isn't it? Raf, do you oh, want yeah. to talk to me a little bit about the route? Because the race, I believe, suggests the route for you. But how did your route compare to this? You know, how do you go about deciding where you're going to run? Absolutely, yeah. So um, on the, the kind of um, race information that we get provided, the suggested route was on there and that would have taken us around 420 kilometres. Um, to complete the, the event, um, of course, going through each checkpoint like Matt's described just then. Um, we spent a solid few hours in the hotel in Cologne the day before the race, um, actually using some kind of bike packing software and, and websites like that to try and um, nibble away parts of the course, um, which we kind of essentially take shortcuts off of the suggested route. Um, a couple of those shortcuts were through kind of forests and things like that. Which, um, which again um, can cause some difficulty, uh, yeah. but mainly um, we, we nibbled away kind of unnecessary things that the bike packing software could see, um, and then that got us down to just under 400 kilometers, so it took over half a marathon off the overall distance, which is obviously fairly significant um, when you, you end up winning the race by just 14 seconds. Yeah, so I mean, I do. I understand you did have a few navigational issues, didn't you, with lack of phone signal? Do you want to talk to us a little bit about those and how they impacted the race? Indeed, yeah, yeah. So it's um, with events like this, I think you can you can always expect for some things to go wrong. Typically, they'd go wrong between kind of the the um, graveyard shift uh, between eleven and, and four a.m. Um, actually, it hit us a little bit earlier. Uh, first of all was um, going through a forest section um, just after the first checkpoint in which the Johnny is not on the call, so I'll, I'll speak as nicely as I can about him. Um, he was on the bike and, and it took a, a pretty um, treacherous trail through a forest uh, where the other leading team at the time um, went the other way and that's actually where they overtook us. Um, he ended up going off of his bike. Um, Sarah, who, who ran the route, and did a phenomenal job of staying upright and, and getting through with our cameraman, but we lost both phone signal, radio signal, and actually Johnny's phone um, decided to eject itself from his bike. Uh, and so we had to spend a little bit of time rummaging around to find that too. 
Um, so that was the first major setback. Um, and then there's a couple others kind of a little bit later in the race, um, which we, we managed to keep under control. But I think I'll let Chris tell you, or Minty, sorry, tell you about the uh, the major one that, that put us a little bit behind, because I'm sure his, his rendition will be a bit different to mine. Yeah, the most the most memorable uh, mishap from the route was uh, taking over from uh, from Jen, another runner on the not on the call, and she passed over to me at the bottom of a pretty long steep hill. It was about six or seven percent for about three kilometres. Raf had to do a little bit of while well, I took over from Jen. Uh, Raf was hopping on the bike, had to do a little bit of uh, maintenance on the bike, and so he was going to catch me up. And because of the steepness of the hill. It's, you know, you get to a point where the runner is actually traveling faster than a cyclist can up a hill. Yeah. And Ralph, unfortunately, just never caught up. And I missed the turning at the top of the hill and carried on running for about three or four kilometers before I realized that my stint should be coming to an end. And there was no one in sight. And yeah, did a did a U-turn. It was high 20s degrees. I was getting pretty dehydrated. Um, and yeah, Raph arrived at the checkpoint and was like, where where is he? Um, and they said, well, I don't know. You were following him, and um, so they sent the search party out to come and look for me. And obviously, we we couldn't set off again until you know I'd handed over to someone. So even getting back to the checkpoint, the guy sort of caught up with me, and then we relayed it back to get back on track as quick as possible. So I think in all, we lost probably half an hour to forty minutes just there, um, just by going completely the wrong direction, unfortunately. But yeah, it sort of thankfully that happened as Raf said in daylight hours because. I wouldn't have had a clue and probably would have carried on running if I hadn't been able to see ahead of me that there was clearly no checkpoint and, and no team around. Yeah, that lucky lucky you noticed then early on and that didn't go further. I mean, how does that impact the, the team? Does that, you know, that must be really frustrating for you all um, to deal with. Do you just have to kind of get, get on with it? Yeah, I think the team, it actually, the team rallied around Chris at that point and, Everyone stayed remarkably positive because I think what we felt was it was less than, we were probably just under halfway in at that point. So we knew that although we were maybe, let's say, 10 hours in, we still had 15 hours of racing to go. And and at that point, you, you firmly believe that anything can happen. And we, we knew that if we'd made a navigational error, there was a very good chance that that would happen to other teams further down the line. We were also very confident in the fact that we'd picked a really, really direct and fast route in the last sort of, 15, 20 kilometres into Strasbourg because that's where uh, Johnny and Raf had spent a lot of time really interrogating the route. So I think although it was it was a bit disappointing and there was a bit of a there was a little bit of a sort of low mood in the camp. It didn't last for long and and everyone just got on with it and ran even harder. Yeah, I mean, how do you train for those low moments? Because obviously it's a very it's a very long event and you do expect moments like that, don't you? Particularly overnight, as we've already discussed. How how much does that factor into your training? I think with experience of having done other events that go that last for twenty four hours or more, you appreciate that there will be ups and downs in the mood. And I think what was amazing. What, one of the most amazing things about this particular team experience for me was the how well how well everyone gelled together and what what a great complementary bunch of characters we had in the team. The amount of encouragement that the runners gave one another and across because we split into sort of two different car groups and we had radios so that we could talk and the amount of the amount of joking and laughing and support and sort of camaraderie that came out of it was was incredible. So it was really a case that even if you were feeling a bit low and a bit tired and a bit stressed, there was there were people around you who were willing to support and pick up the slack. And you know, for me, that was a particular highlight of the weekend. Yeah, because some of you had actually not met before, had you? Yeah, that's true. Um, Quite a lot yeah. of uh, people that I, I <clears throat> when I first came up with the idea, I sort of before I spoke with Andy, I had I think it was five or maybe six of the eight positions filled. Um, and so they were sort of all friends of mine that were from parts of the world of which they'd never even met each other. Um, so yeah, quite a few of the, I think I was the only middle point that knew everybody. Um, yeah. Everyone else sort of, you know, obviously the precision fuel and hydration guys have all been working together. But other than that, um, there was there was very few that sort of knew everybody else. Yeah, there was no one. Yeah. So how how does that you know how does that impact the race? Do you just 
do you just all kind of get on with it? And I guess you have to learn one another's personalities, don't you? Yeah, I mean, we did get there uh, a little over 24 hours before we started. And I think that first day, so we all got there on on the Thursday afternoon and the race started at uh, 6 a.m. on Saturday. So we spent all day Friday sort of hanging out, getting to know each other. As Raf mentioned, we spent, well, Raf undersold it there. He said a few hours planning. They ended up spending most of the day uh, as, as a team planning the route. Um, but, yeah, we sort of had that first day and a half, um, few meals to sort of get to know each other a little bit. But, um, yeah, like Andy said, it's even was sort of surprising to me how well everyone got on and just gelled as a team and um, just had a perfect mix of, um, of, of, of of motivation and just people that wanted to do their best for the team. And, um, yeah, ended up just being such a good experience. <laughs> and uh, afterwards there was just, even though we were so tired we hadn't slept you know everyone had slept a maximum of sort of less than an hour over the previous four, 36 or 48 hours we were already so pumped to do something like that again <laughs> um maybe even enter the speed project in the u.s um that was an idea as well uh, but it just goes to show that just being yeah we'd, we'd all run well over a marathon in distance over over the over the previous day and a half and we'd all hardly slept uh, but we, we just had so much fun with it that we were already thinking about doing something again. Like yeah, that. oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, so just talk to me before we get into the, um, you know, the fuel and hydration aspects, just talk to me about how you actually organise the relay itself. So, you know, how far were you running at a time and what you were, you were talking about two teams in two cars later on in the event? Yeah, sure. I can start with this. Um, there was a few different ideas in the beginning uh, and some of the experience that um, Johnny and Andy had had in different similar long events sort of um, gave us some ideas as well. But what we ended up going with was splitting into two teams of four. So two car- we had two cars. We actually had three cars, but two, uh, one, one car was essentially just to um, bring luggage. So there was really two cars for the, for the runners. And we split into two teams of four. Um, that were pretty equal on um, overall sort of abilities of, of, of pace if you if you teamed us uh, as a team of four. And we ended up thinking that the best way to do it would be to do the first 80 kilometres. We'd essentially do legs of 10 kilometres each. So uh, backtracking just a little bit, the teams of four didn't actually kick in or, or were activated until after the first 80K. So yeah. the first 80K, everyone did around about 10 kilometres each, give or take 1K. Uh, so I started, did the first leg, I think it was about 9.3K, uh, and then we, I handed off to a, a German friend of mine called Nikki, who did 11K. Fast forward, we did 80K, and then after the 80K mark, we split into two teams of four, and then every team was responsible for around about 45 to 50 kilometers until they would tag onto the next team, and we, uh, and then we would alternate team one, team two, team one, team two, through until the very latest stages of the race. And we thought that would work well because it would then mean that every team would have a fairly lengthy recovery period because 45K around about three hours, you know, give or take 20 minutes. And it wasn't exactly 45K. It was sort of between 40 and 50K each time. Um, That would then mean that every team would have a period of time where they could eat properly. They could have a good meal. They could even have time to have a nap and a sleep and just have a little bit of a rest instead of feeling like you're just never able to catch that break of having a a good good meal and a bit of a a, a reset and a, a bit of a recovery period. And, um, yeah, I think that worked really, really well. Um, I'll let, uh, let uh, Andy talk about how we, uh, you know, changed at, at the very end because that was actually his idea to combine the teams, him and Johnny. Uh, but that basically took us, that that strategy took us to around about 300 and maybe 40K mark. Uh, yeah. So about 50 to 60 kilometres to go. And then we sort of got together as a team and, and finished it off. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, do you want to tell us a little bit about the the last leg of it then, Andy? Yeah. I mean, we came, so at that point that Matt's talking about sort of 340 Ks in, it was about three o'clock in the morning. So everyone's body clock is at its lowest ebb, but we we were getting relatively hyped as a group because we were closing in on the leaders. There was a live tracker because every team carried a tracker. We were, we were tracking the team that, that we'd lost 40, 40 minutes to earlier in the day. They were down to probably, I'm going to say something like 15 minutes ahead at this point, and we were we were demonstrably chipping into their lead. And the way we, were, we the way we'd started doing that is by shortening the legs that each runner was was doing. We were enab- we were enabling ourselves to keep the pace per leg a lot higher. So rather than move, running 10 and 5k legs, we started running three and two kilometer legs each, and and having a rapid handover. 
and then shortly after that, as as we combined the teams, so that at one point all eight of us were were running one after the other, we were down to running between one and two minutes each, but really running flat out. And then, of course, having somewhere in the region of 10, 15, maybe 20 minutes of rest. And it's amazing how quick you can actually run when when you do repeated sprints like that, because for a minute you really are sprinting flat out and wow. and, and then getting 15, 20 minutes of recovery and going again. And so we, we were just rolling down the road. It's, it's at this point, it's probably more like four or five in the morning. The sun's coming up. Everyone's feeling a bit, a bit more lively. Uh, the car's just rolling ahead. The roads are dead quiet. And we were just throwing people out of the car, tagging the runner as they came in, leapfrogging ahead. And, and the guys were running some phenomenal times. I think particularly hats off at this point goes to Nikki, who Matt mentioned, and Luke, who were absolutely, you know, running well under three minutes a K for the majority of their stints. And it brought our overall average average pace, it, well, it increased our average pace significantly so that we were really chipping into the, into the lead. Yeah, that, that's that's incredible that you can get those paces over such a long distance. Because I was going to ask how you balance, you know, what what your strategy was, speed mm. versus endurance. Because you need both of them, don't you? Um, yeah, I think I think what we learned was that it would have been very difficult to do what we did there from the very start. You know, oh, that yeah. would be twenty five hours of that of, of repeated intervals would be impossible. But I think what we learned was that actually flipping into shorter intervals relatively early on is a good idea because as soon as you've got 20 or 30 kilometers in your legs as an individual the the ability to hold a high pace continuously really drops away but you can stay focused for, sh- for short distances a really a particularly memorable bit for me was during the night time I was paired up with Nikki and we we were running away from the road at this point so we were running along a, a essentially a river path Um, where the cars couldn't get to it so we had a bike between us and we were just riding three kilometers on the bike next to the runner and then switching over and we we did about three three or four stints of three kilometers each but the pace we were able to hold was was probably 30 seconds a kilometer faster than if we'd have just run that distance straight and it was a really good it was a really good strategy and and i think if we were to do it again we might even consider whether we could just extend the the range at which we started doing that because it yeah. was it was what enabled us to go fast yeah well it's clearly worked for you and you were victorious in the end so yeah well done and um, yeah i i can't stress enough the point andy first made though is, is that if we tried to do that yeah. strategy in the in the final 40k early on i it just it just wouldn't have been sustainable no. i feel like we could only sustain that for a couple of hours <laughs> so yeah. we sa- so we saved it for the very end and it worked out well yeah <laughs> Um, shall we get on to the challenges then of fueling and hydration over that distance for a team of eight runners? You know, wh- where do you begin to plan for that? How does talk, talk us through um, how you plan for fueling and hydration? Uh, well, I think the, fir- the first thing we decided to do was that the strategy around eating was going to be little and often because eating and drinking because we were we were all going to be on the go pretty much every there were there wasn't more than about two two and a half hours at uh, maybe three hours at any point when you weren't going to be doing anything at all so um, although we did stop and have a couple of meals along the way basically I think both teams managed to find uh, takeaway pizza places to get get some hot food in yeah the the rest of the time there was just a lot of grazing and a lot of snacking and one thing that, that we were aware of as a team, obviously, is we, with Precision Fuel and Hydration, we work with athletes doing pretty extreme endurance events the whole time. And it, it makes you very aware that actually under fueling and under hydrating in a long event like that can, if you do it, if you don't fuel and hydrate enough early on, it can really bite you in the, in the backside later on. So we made sure that we'd got lots of energy gels, lots of chews, lots of bottles of electrolyte drink mix in both of the vehicles. And it was really on the, on the support crew to make sure that when a runner finished doing their leg, something was shoved in their hand to eat and drink and to really keep on top of that. So, um, that, that was one of the, one of the major things, um, Chris and Raph might be able to talk a little bit more about the sort of because they they do a lot of, of work with elite athletes case studies looking at um, fuel and hydration numbers so might be able to talk a little bit in more detail about 
about that side of things. Yeah, talk yeah. to us about recommendations then. Are there any like specific guidelines? Sure, well, it's a bit of a, a niche one really because most of the athletes, well, all the athletes we work with are dealing with fueling and hydrating whilst they're exercising, whereas because the stints we were doing were so well relatively short, as Andy said, the maximum was sort of 10 kilometres, there was never a point where the runner was actually needing to eat and drink whilst they were running. It was more a case of as soon as they get in the van, they tag over the next runner, was sort of thinking about, you know, how do I how do I get some stuff in, get, get enough liquid in, get enough fuel on board so that when I go again, I'm not feeling full or sick or, or you know, needing a loo or something. So it became a, it evolved quite a lot um, along the way. And as Andy said, playing catch up is a very, very difficult game to, to play. And, you know, for, for Raph and I, it became, you know, early on sort of ingraining to everyone else that, you know, this, this will catch up with you. We all feel good right now and you know because we're doing shorter stints it probably makes it seem like you don't need much um but it will catch up with you and so it became exactly as andy said rather than any general recommendations it became just little and often making sure that you were you know in encompassing the whole picture of you know we've done 10k now and you've got a couple of hours off but we also still want to be able to run this fast and if not faster in 15 16 hours time so keeping getting an idea of what you'd already done as well as preparing for what you were going to do. And I think one of the key things that we learned as a team during that was how well we can incorporate things like caffeine into overnight uh, trips like this. And I think Andy's got a, a, a pretty good recollection of, of how he yeah. utilised caffeine in a similar way to what we recommend to athletes, but saw it firsthand, basically. So I'll let Andy chat about yeah, that was that was an important one, we felt, for this event, because normally you'd recommend if athletes use caffeine for for their events then you would normally recommend they take it before they start and then if it's a long event top up regularly with caffeine throughout in order to keep the levels fairly high in your system but for this event we thought it was it was maybe a bit more strategically wise to have to to have a minimal amount of caffeine during the daytime or even close to zero and then actually try and utilize caffeine during the the night time to when you're starting to feel fatigued and, and needing to stay awake yeah. and so I'm a, I'm usually a fairly you know, moderate to heavy coffee drinker. Um, I actually stayed largely off coffee and caffeine on the on the day of the race, but then at around about one a.m. two a.m. started to take gels with caffeine in. The, the gels we have um, ha have thirty grams of carbs and one hundred milligrams of caffeine in each. And as soon as I started taking those, within fifteen or twenty minutes, I could really feel the effects of it far more strongly than I normally would because of that little period of abstinence yeah. and I think that, that that really helped with sort of getting through those last throughout few hours when when all the hormones and your body clock are trying to send you to sleep and you, and you need to be still firing on all four cylinders. Yeah yeah that must be tough running through the night actually um, I mean what what are you looking out for in athletes you know what's what are the warning signs that they perhaps haven't taken enough fuel or or haven't drunk enough? Um, we, we, Mood is always a big indicator. When people start to get, you know, start to feel grumpy and tired and hangry, it can be a sign that they've not got enough energy in. Um, that's certainly one thing. Um, with the hydration side of things, really, it's like um, you're looking for two things. It's like, do you feel thirsty? Because you shouldn't really be letting yourself get to a point where you feel really thirsty. And also, are you peeing reasonably regularly? Not like norm more than you normally would, but it's easy to to sort of, go three hours and realize you haven't stopped and had a pee because it was really quite hot during the day so we were just kind of making sure that we were we were keeping up and the other thing was 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 making sure that we kept um raf and reem and angus the people who were doing the driving and bike support it was a very tough day for them as well like staying up and driving that distance or riding that distance on a bike was important and they had to be mentally sharp so making sure that they were fully stocked with you know electrolyte drinks during the day and cans of coke and things like that was really important yeah yeah i mean just you've mentioned electrolytes there just talk to us about the importance of those when um you're running a summer event um when it's when it's hot outside you know why are electrolytes important basically they're, they're important because sodium is the main electrolyte you lose in your sweat that's the one that's predominant in most good sports drinks and when you when you're sweating a large amount over several hours you can really become quite 
depleted in terms of both fluid and electrolytes. The more fluid that you drink after a certain point, the more electrolytes you need to take in in order to absorb and retain that fluid in your bloodstream. Because if you just replace water hour after hour when you're sweating a lot, you can actually dilute your body's electrolyte levels down. So making sure that we were we making sure that we were putting electrolyte tablets in the majority of the drinks that we were having, especially during the hotter part of the day. And also when we had when we did have the opportunity to stop and have some food, we were we were making sure that we put a little bit of salt on our food or had some things like crisps and other other foods that were salty because your taste buds do a great job of telling you when you need salt. And I and I have to say a few times, like especially late in the evening, once I'd done a, a shift in the hottest part of the day. The, the crisps tasted amazing because my body was obviously craving salt and you have to learn to listen to that and make sure you're getting the electrolytes in as well as the water. Yeah, yeah. Um, so is, is electrolytes something you would just take during the race? Because um, we talked about maybe abstaining from caffeine beforehand to have an effect. Is there anything you need to do pre-race um, to um, help with fueling and hydration? Fueling before the race, we all actually, carb we carb-loaded pretty, pretty handily. We went for pizza, and then also went to a pasta restaurant the night before and, and sort of cleaned their kitchen out pretty pretty handily when like eight hungry runners turned up. So carb loading is definitely something which is beneficial before these kind of events. And we, we did a good job of that. With the electrolytes, you can take on a little bit more ahead of time. Usually that's just a bit of salting your food and maybe having a really strong electrolyte drink before you start on the day. But you can't do as much there's not as much capacity to store fluids and electrolytes in the body as there is carbohydrate. So really the pre, the sort of all of the emphasis on the, on the day prior was about getting enough energy on board. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really crucial to have that support in place, isn't it? To make sure you're getting all that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, is there anything else we need to, to chat about regarding fuel and hydration, anything we've missed that was important during the race? One thing I'd like to, uh, ad was in in our van when we sort of split into the two teams. Raf and I had a and a, a our team of runners uh, Andy and Johnny uh, were in the other van and we sort of we tried to be uh, team members as in we were all runners rather than being sports scientists and sort of saying do this do that. Yeah. And a couple of times it sort of it was really evident that the symptoms that individual runners. You know, they're all very talented runners, so I've obviously had a lot of experience with fueling and hydrating and you know, long distance events, shorter events, training you know, seven or eight hours a week of running. So highly experienced and just identifying different symptoms, like Andy said, a couple of times people would jump in the van and just say, I really fancy a bag of salt and vinegar crisps. And that to us was sort of a, you know, a clear amber, if not red flag, that you know, they need to do something about getting some electrolytes in because they're potentially a little bit depleted, their bodies are craving it. And all it needed was just, you know, uh, a little nudge to suggest that they might need something. You give it to them and then maybe 20 minutes, half an hour later, and they're absolutely right as rain, different different person, moods increased, and it was, yeah, like, like day and night. And I think it was, for us, it was quite easy to sort of identify those symptoms. But then as we started to become you know, affected by sleep deprivation and, and tiredness. It sort of, it became, the onus became on, on all of us. And, and we had some of the runners that had limited experience with fuel and hydration, you know, nagging me to, to, to keep eating when I was sort of in and out of the van every 20 minutes or so doing a run leg and, you know, sort of suggesting that, you know, you need to eat, you need to drink, you know, exactly. roles yeah. are reversed. Exactly. Right. As the, the constant kind of not nagging, but just friendly reminders that you need to keep on top of your hydration especially through the hotter parts of the day, it got really quite warm. Um, I'm sure Matt can tell you about one particular uphill stint that he had just leaving Luxembourg, where I think he passed through three countries um, and, and covered some pretty savage elevation, where he would have been losing a significant amount of fluid and electrolytes in his sweat. And it, that's the kind of thing that if he doesn't replace when he gets back into the van before his next run, he could find some detriment to his performance later on in the, in the event. Yeah, do you want to tell us a little bit about that, Matt? Yeah, for sure. Um, it was pretty close to halfway through, actually, the the entire journey, potentially just further than that. Um, I think it was our third stint as a team. Uh, we handed over from the other team just at the border of Luxembourg. And, uh, well, there was a couple of kilometres of Germany before 
uh, transit. There's this little sort of region around the south end of Luxembourg where <laughs> Germany, France, and Luxembourg have all have um, are all very close to each other. But yeah, so I started in Luxembourg only for maybe the first couple hundred meters, and then I had about two kilometers uh, in Germany, of which were very uncomfortable because I was just running straight uphill. <laughs> um, and then transitioned into France, uh, and yeah, as Raf put it, I was my heart rate was just near max nearly the whole time because I was just there was just, just this particular section that was just going, um, you know, very uh, very steep elevation and more or less straight uphill. Um, and finally, Raf said that because he actually didn't, didn't didn't see me do this because he's out in the black. But uh, after that, I, I because I had quite a bit of experience now in in bonking and and, and running out of fuel and and having cramping. Uh, in in training and in in racing, I after that, uh, not actually directly after that leg because I had to have a, a very short break to do another leg after that. I actually did take in uh, quite a lot of the drink mix that the Precision Fuel and Hydration team brought along, which is very high in sodium, um, and also one of the caffeine gels that was mentioned before that has 100 milligrams of caffeine, which is essentially the same as a amount of caffeine as a pretty strong coffee. Um, so I was I was um, cognizant of these things and knowing that. Uh, this is 7 p.m., 7.30 p.m. We're going through until 7 a.m. We've got 12 hours left. I've got a lot of running left, probably close to a half marathon left. Mm-hmm. Um, if I don't stay on top of this fatigue and I don't uh, replace the electrolytes pretty quickly, I'm likely not going to be able to finish very well. And I'm I'm very susceptible to muscle cramping. Uh, anyone that's listened to other podcasts I've been on <laughs> will be probably tired of me talking about it. But um, the, the replacement of sodium uh particularly uh is is helpful for that in in preventing them and and stopping them from getting a lot worse um so i had a little bit of a a load on those things around 7 30 or 8 p.m um so yeah we're sort of yeah it must have been just after halfway um because the 25 hours and and we finished at 7 a.m so um yeah around that time i I made a point to 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 take quite a lot of the the product that the precision fuel and hydration team actually brought along that was in the cars um and uh yeah I, i I didn't have any cramping or, or really any, any energy problems uh, in the final stages. And um, uh, just for, for context on that leg, I think Matt was downplaying it slightly. The man runs or has run under 220 for a marathon and was having to walk at some points up that elevation. Right. I think you covered more than the Boston Marathon in that seven kilometer stint and covered three countries. Is that right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Pretty brutal. Yeah, yeah, it was a tough leg, and I think the the, the maybe the reason why I, I walked was because uh, I try to I try to throw blame here, but of course it's just a fun game. This, but um, I had no I had no no warning that that was coming <laughs> that, that that elevation, <laughs> so I sort of exploded out of the blocks after having a three hour break and sort of took off at I don't know three maybe six minute mile pace or three forty per k or something, thinking you know I'll be able to hold this for seven k. But little did I know what was around the corner, and I had a little go on camera. I had a little bit of a playful go at, at Chris for saying, "Did you know this was coming? And if you did, why didn't you tell me?" <laughs> because because I went so hard in the first kilometer and a half as as we were progressing up the hill that my my heart rate got so high so quickly I started producing lactic acid you know at a, at a, at a rate that I hadn't been producing for a long time uh, which forced me to to actually had to stop and walk just to just to let my heart rate drop for about about 30 seconds um so yeah I think it was a uh, poor um pacing on my behalf to to go out so quickly um I probably should have been a little bit more conservative uh you know because obviously I could see ahead that there was a little bit of you know elevation coming but I didn't realize uh, how uh, it's difficult to describe unless you can sort of obviously see what I was looking at, but I didn't realize how hilly it was really going to be. Um, but, uh, you know, in retrospect, it was one of the funnier and more memorable moments of the whole journey for me, even though it was incredibly tough uh, for, for that 20 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, that was going to be my next question, actually. What what were the most memorable moments of the race? What were your favorite bits for each of you? Yeah, I mean, I can start. That 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 was one just because it was yeah so unique and so so funny, and it was all caught on camera, which we published on YouTube. So um, I think that also made it funny just to relive. But the the you know there were so many really. I think I think one really uh, yeah there, there's so many, but the ones that come to mind, I'll, I'll just share two quickly so the others can share some. But there was one point um, at around two forty five in the morning when our team, which included uh, Cr- Chris. Um, who, who's obviously on the on the podcast here, and also Raf was planning. Um, we were taking a short nap, ready to tackle our next block 
of 45K. Um, we're sitting in cars in a car park in the middle of nowhere in France outside what seemed to be like an abandoned building. I don't know what it was, but it was black. It was dark, so we couldn't even really tell what it was. It probably wasn't abandoned, but it just looked like this building that nothing, nothing, there's nothing in any, nothing around, nothing around. And we have a quick nap, and um, Johnny, who's riding his bike with the team that's currently, you know, uh, running their leg uh, through France, he wakes up the entire team uh, with a very, very funny message that I'm actually probably not allowed to say on a podcast call. Um, which got us very quickly, you know, realizing that we have to, you know, get ready to get started again. It's cold. It's pitch black. We're in the middle of nowhere with a highway sort of to our left, a few hundred meters away, and we're running down this dark road with no lights. And you know, if you, there's no way you're going to do something like that on your own. Like you're only rallying to do something like that with a team like we had. Uh, but to get started and to get back into it at that time um, was was something that took a you know a little bit of time for us to to really get back warmed up I, I did the first leg of that block and I just remember thinking when I when I uh, got given the relay button so to speak that um, this is this is rough like this is dark we've been going for 18 hours now I'm, I, I just napped for 45 minutes I feel so tired my 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 legs are just like bricks um, you know that was a memorable moment uh, shortly after the sun came up but I think the most memorable moment by far and I'm sure pretty much everyone would agree was just the last last half an hour when mm-hmm. we're looking at the trackers and being like we are going to be we are gonna this is gonna come down to a sprint finish <laughs> and, and and just the whole team being so um pumped to to to, to know that we, we could win this knowing how far behind we were only a few hours earlier um and that we were just in such a, a positive spirit coming into strasbourg changing over as Andy said, every couple of minutes and doing these short, sharp legs, with, you know, it was just such a unique experience that, you know, I've never had anything, uh, never experienced anything like it. Um, and obviously just crossing the finish line and, and knowing that we'd won. And um, I don't know if people listening have seen videos, but we, we literally crossed the line, uh, you know, had a big team huddle and we're, you know, fist pumping each other. And then just behind us and the next team c- come in like 14 seconds later we, we just we just couldn't believe it that we'd, we it had come down to just being such a such a close race but I'll, I'll let the other guys you know share some stories as well yeah yeah please do yeah i'll um i'll share a couple of my favorite parts as matt said it was such a unique experience it, it's sort of not really comparable to anything i've ever done before and first main core memory from it was just um probably in the middle of the night, again, I'm unaware of what time it was, but sort of looking around at these like zombie-like people that are total strangers and the the two, the two that were in our, our team, uh, Luke and Jen, had flown from Houston. They'd flown 10,000 miles to be flung out of a minibus at three in the morning and trying to run at three minutes per kilometre up a, a, a steep-ass hill. And, and she just looked at us and said, like, are we absolutely crazy? And I said, well, we are, but you've flown halfway across the world to do this that makes you at least twice as crazy as us and and it sort of put into perspective like Matt said there's no way you'd be doing this by yourself and let alone giving the effort that that we did and and the other main uh takeaway or or best part was similar to what Matt said that last 40 kilometers the last marathon that we covered was you know I don't know what the exact time was but it must be close to sort of 210 you know sub three minute kilometer pace because we were at some point doing 20, 30 second repeats up, a, up the steepest part of the hills just because we knew that you can lose so much time by fatiguing yourself or pacing yourself up hills that if we just rattle through it quickly, then you know, we, we can really keep the pace high. And the, the lads, Luke and, and Andy in particular, hopping in and out of the van, having competitions over the radio as to who's doing the fastest mile split in there. They're doing like 435, 440 miling in the middle of the night after having already run 30 kilometers each. So it was, yeah, it was it was pretty epic the whole time, but those are a couple of us that stood out. Yeah, that's incredible teamwork there, yeah. Um, I've got two really specific um, kind of memorable things from the trip. Um, and they're both I think, equally impressive, but for different reasons. The, the first one is actually a big shout out to Angus, who's behind the camera for the Sweat Elite videos, which you can see on YouTube. That man must have ridden his bike for 20 hours and was the happiest person on the planet to be there. 
and he needed so little kind of maintenance. We talked about fueling the, the people and support crew, and I'd say we mustn't, we can't have handed him more than a couple of sandwiches or maybe a gel here or there to get him through. And um, he was definitely, definitely a huge source of, of energy um, for the team throughout. And the other one was actually Mickey, who we've mentioned a couple of times throughout the, the podcast so far. There was one point, and one of the, the kind of more Strava stats inclined people on the call can help me out with how fast he travelled for this stint. But he went so fast down a hill that it actually led to one of the, uh, the members of a, a comp- competing team at the finish line thinking that he might have cheated. And, and it was a, a questionable split, was the quote. Wow. Um, the man moves so quickly on his feet. Um, I, I'm not sure how quick that was. Can you remember the It that? was 2.45 per kilometre, yeah. 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 That's incredible. For about, I think it was about 1.2K. But, I mean, that's like world record, pretty close to world record 10K pace. It's not far off that. Yeah. Like it's, <laughs> you know, very quick. Yeah, um, just jumping in on that with, with Nicky. I, I rode his very first leg and had never met the guy and he... As, as Matt said earlier, he took over from Matt, so he ran the second leg for the team and I was bike support alongside him. And I was genuinely terrified that he was going to implode after about, you know, 2K at the pace he set off at. He just looked like he was hunting the whole time. He was running so quick and so aggressively and he just never slowed down so much so that we, we picked him for our final leg, mainly yeah. because he was still running the quickest out of anybody. It was phenomenal. Yeah, he led the charge, didn't he? Yeah, he was he was the he was sort of the beacon for that. The thing that stood out most most of all for me as a as a funny moment during the race happened really near the end because with with about twenty, thirty kilometers to go, I jumped in the car to drive the second support car with Johnny sat next to me on the radio because we were we were getting really paranoid that the the immediate run into Strasbourg, we none of us had ever been there before. We had this route on Google Maps, but we we knew that if we took one single wrong turn or didn't take advantage of any shortcut, then there was the chance of not of not winning. So I'm I was driving the support car at the front, sort of clearing the way and making sure that we were getting through everything. We were also concerned about the traffic lights, um, and we're having to cross you know numerous big junctions. And so the plan was get the car ahead see the runner through and then leapfrog the, the minibus with the other runners ahead. But we we knew there was a risk that at some point the minibus would get caught at a red light and not make it through. Sure enough, with about probably what must have been about two kilometres to go, I ended up on the correct side of a green light and the minibus got stopped. I was in, in the driving seat and one of the runners was coming around the corner, but he was sort of, it was Eric, he was starting to flag because he'd done a, a bit of a long stint. And Johnny just said to me, he said, Glow, get out the car and start running. So I just had to abandon the car in the middle of the road. Johnny slid across in the driving seat. I, I at this point, had not planned on carrying on running. My, I looked at my running shoes on, but my shoelaces were flapping. I had a woolly hat on, oh, wow. my, my driving glasses, and, and Eric tagged me, and I just started sprinting. And I thought, I hope this minibus gets through the light soon because because uh, someone's going to have to take over. And I think then it was I think then it was Nikki who took over for the final the final leg potentially but that was extremely funny and i'm sure angus has got a funny video of some bloke with his shoes untied and a woolly hat on legging it down the main road into strasbourg <laughs> i was <laughs> love to see that. that the other the other thing as well is credit credit to matt for this one matt um, he wasn't in charge of the nutrition planning but the finest nutritional move anyone made for the entire thing was booking us into the best curry house in strasbourg for an amazing curry a recovery curry after the race and that was definitely my favorite meal of the entire event oh amazing it, it sounds like teamwork really got you through there and helped you win that race then um yeah those are some incredible memories yeah i think i think for me the biggest the biggest thing was i've been doing endurance events be it running races triathlons adventure races kayaking events mountain biking things i've done a lot in the last 25 years or so Rarely, if ever, have I had more fun than I had doing this event or come away with what I think are more long-lasting memories. We had a little WhatsApp group running for the event. There is still almost daily activity in that all the you know weeks later now because it was just a phenomenal team bonding experience. And I would say if anyone 
as a runner, if you've been, if you're listening to this and kind of feeling a little bit inspired to do something like this, if you are feeling at all jaded with the day to day, you know, running marathons, running 10 Ks, running half marathons, doing this as part of a team is such a rewarding experience and does, does like reinvigorate your, your enthusiasm for the sport if it's flagging. And for me, it was, it, it made me feel like a, a, a kid again, basically doing this is phenomenal. Yeah, it sounds, it sounds like a lot of fun. Have you all got anything else planned um, over the next year or so? Are you planning anything else exciting? Potentially speed project. We'll see. We haven't we haven't entered anything or really made any moves, but we, there's been a lot of discussion in, in the group chat. Um, uh, otherwise, you know, individually we all sort of do different different things. C- Chris backed up the following week and did a was it a half Ironman? <laughs> or or uh, I've got a couple of marathons coming, and yeah, we all sort of individually do uh, do marathons and half marathons, I think. But uh, as a team, we definitely hope to do something similar to that. Uh, there's not too many things like that around the world, as mentioned. It's, uh, but um, I wouldn't be surprised if we're uh, either entering next year's Euro trip, uh, again, not confirmed or not really fully discussed yet. Um, but yeah, like Andy said, we've had so much fun and there's so many, uh, there's so much chat going through that uh, WhatsApp group even still today about different memories and different funny things that happened that uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we rally together as a team and, and go after trying to trying to uh, complete or, or even you know be on the podium uh, or, or win another event uh, that's yeah. similar. Yeah. yeah, there's clearly some talent there as well. So yeah, let us let you do let us know if you're up to anything else. Um, so it's been wonderful talking to you all today. Thank you for joining us for the podcast. Can you just tell our listeners where they can find out a bit more about you? Are you on social media website? Yeah, sure. I'll I'll start. Uh, so yeah, I'm I'm Matt. Obviously, Sweat Elite is um is on Instagram. We're, we're probably more well, we're far more active on on YouTube and on podcasts than anything else. We tend to um, feature professional athletes uh, in the running and triathlon space, and, and we we turn up to training sessions of theirs and join them and, and film it and put it on YouTube and on, on podcast. Uh, all Sweat Elite branding. So just searching Sweat Elite, you'll find it. Yeah. And on podcast, we tend to interview athletes about training and 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 build ups to certain events so that people can maybe learn uh, a thing or two about how they they go and uh, as mentioned in the start of the call um every endurance athlete needs a uh or they're not going to perform to their best without a really solid um fueling and hydration um uh product or or, or partner brand and 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 i've been working with uh, precision fuel and hydration in many different ways uh for for for, for about a year now so i'll let andy take over and uh, mm-hmm. share where they can where you can learn more about them yeah thanks matt um if, if anyone's interested in the a, a bit more in-depth on the fueling and hydration side of what they're doing, go to precisionfuelandhydration.com. Um, you can also follow us on social media on Precision F and H. Um, the guys who you've been listening to on here, uh, Minty and Raf, are part of our sports science and athlete support team who offer free video calls with anyone. So if, you're, if you've got questions about your fueling and hydration for an upcoming event and would like to chat with the team, you can find a link in the footer of our website to book a free video call to do that because as a business, we're highly focused on sort of sharing our experience and educating athletes on the best way to fuel and hydrate for what they do. So it it won't be a sales pitch. We won't we won't just talk to you about our products and our services and things. But if you've got questions about fueling and hydration for any endurance event, then come and visit the website and find us. And we would love to hear from you. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for joining us. And it's been great chatting. Thanks, Michelle. Appreciate your, uh, your invitation. Yeah. Thank you, Michelle. Thanks, Michelle.